Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors podcast, episode 155 with Josh Adam Dillaba, brought to you by iHunter, Canada's number one digital hunting companion. So today we're talking with our very good family friend, Josh, about all things outdoors and his really interesting work with Nature Conservancy Canada. But before we get into the podcast, I'm going to chat a little bit with my husband again, Brennan. How excited are you about the upcoming deer season? Pretty darn excited. I didn't shoot a deer last year and it's been bugging me. So getting back out there this year is uh, <laughs> it's going to be number one priority for me. Nice. Yeah. I, I remember that you were busy hunting the whole time and I kind of mm-hmm. got to do all the fun stuff and just sort of keep you updated with pictures and trail cam photos and things. And you didn't really get a chance to do any of that. Not really. No, I've been... Uh, I've been just killing the battery on my phone with all my use of the iHunter app. I've uh, recently discovered how to use the opacity toggle, which <laughs> the the map, obviously, that you purchased, the, the municipal map, you can toggle the opacity of it over the ground that you're going to be hunting on. So mm-hmm. I've been kind of getting really fast at clicking on, clicking off and and using the auto opacity slider to see like where I am. Oh, do I have permission? Yep. Bang. Know the hunter or the farmer's name. Perfect. And uh, today it actually alerted me to a new map for our area. So I went ahead and uh, added that to our collection. Updated. And uh, it's been really good. I, I, I just really can't wait <laughs> looking looking at uh, all the ground, the satellite imaging, just knowing the area already, mm-hmm. having lived where we've lived for a few years now, but just being able to f- see some cool little places that I know I'm just going to be trekking into and uh and hopefully a little over a month yeah i i re- i do really like that feature as well and for the exact same reason that you kind of mentioned where you know when you're out there and you're walking through property and sometimes there might not be fence lines or the they're not really great fence lines and you're kind of not sure like is this old is it newer are we just not taking care of it and you're not actually sure whose property you're on and you can just toggle that opacity and sort of figure out where you are kind of on the fly Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that's right. I've been liking that as well. That's a that's mm-hmm. a good one. So you're obviously a month away. You're you're planning on shooting my target buck, of course. Well, as an opportunistic hunter, <laughs> I mean, whatever whatever deer sort of comes out. But I mean, you've been sending me the photos <laughs> of the deer in the area, and uh, yeah, you know, like it's, it's it's our together buck, right? Isn't that, oh, uh, yeah. isn't that how it works? <laughs> So together buck that uh, we'll both put the work into and I don't know that we'll, it works that way. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see who gets them. We'll see. You, uh, yeah. We'll see how them backstraps taste. I'm going to, mm-hmm. I'm going to make sure that all of your stuff is like, I'm going to dull all your broadheads. I'm just going to lose them for you. Make sure that there's no way that you can get out in the beginning. Dull my bro. Just rub my camo and the dog or something <laughs> nothing will come near me and the chicken's oh, outside yeah <laughs> the chickens yeah 
That would be hilarious. I'll wind them all to you. You just be downwind. I won't be able to figure it out for a couple of weeks, but don't worry. I set up our new our new tree stand spot. I made sure that that's that's on the good wind the good wind side of the trail, and we'll have everything ready, and you can just go hide back there when you come. Did home. you set up set up the one on top of the house for me? Because why not? Where we live. <laughs> I haven't seen anything near the house lately because the you cows. Wi-Fi. Are, well, the cows are across the road, so. Oh yeah. There's yeah, no um, there's no good deer hanging out here. No. So. Oh, that's fair. Are you um? You've got your bow out there. You've been practicing. I have been putting have in reps. Been, have you wraps. been practicing off off the house? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, I'm yeah. staying in a well site here, and uh, there's a handy little staircase ladder combo on the side and I climb on up there it gets a couple weird looks from the people that are working at the uh <laughs> the Quonset next to me here but they've uh they've kind of embraced it sort of <laughs> embraced me as that weird dude that climbs on top of stuff and shoots at stuff but shoots always in a safe manner obviously but uh yeah it, you got to change it up like there's there's one thing about putting in the reps to get your uh you know your core skills down your anchor your footing your your mm. all your good stuff your peep your sighting all that getting in those reps of just 20 yards or whatever distance you want, just to make sure that you're shooting the same every time, but you have to change it up. We plan on doing a lot of tree saddle hunting this year and mm -hmm. uh, kind of above ground stuff in trees aside from saddles. I'm hoping to sit on a platform <laughs> is what I'm getting at. I hope to sit on a platform <laughs> while stand. I ease my way into the leather diaper hanging on <laughs> by a rope, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it anyways. Um, so it's it's good to change up where you're shooting yeah. because never not very often do you get that perfect broadside shot mm -hmm. um not very often is it 20 yards bang on so you need to you need to really practice on your on your yardage and that's what i've been doing have you um been practicing with your broadheads no so i don't actually have not a broadhead yet. bag yet so mm -hmm. it's it's just field points right now but uh if i could find one maybe one of my trips into town at some point i'm coming home soon anyways i probably won't to make make too many trips away uh before i'm done but um yeah whatever i can do just to get the reps in mm -hmm. but uh on on the archery thing you've got your uh woman's day tomorrow morning yeah. at 7 a.m which is coming up very fast for you <laughs> it's coming up very fast yeah, <laughs> yeah by the time this podcast comes out that'll be that will be history but uh yeah i do i have um i believe six or so girls that are registered and they're coming over which is i always hoped that i would get more but it's nice when there's a small number it just makes it a little bit more intimate and the opportunity to kind of help and teach and mentor um with less girls there's more opportunity you know to help each one personally mm -hmm. so i have that tomorrow and we're going over all kinds of stuff we'll be going over um We'll start off with scouting and we'll talk about, um, you know, scouting throughout the year, different kinds of scouting, like if you have permission, if you don't have permission, how to use electronic scouting. So how to use iHunter, um, how to, you know, like we said, use the opacity, use the map, be able to find out who landowners are for permission, be able to waypoint things to be able to come back later um, and check on those things. Um, mm -hmm. uh, certainly well, for safety as well. These are new hunters, some mm -hmm. of them, right? So yep. being able to uh, set tracks and set waypoints, caching maps, learning how to do that yep. when you're in the bush without service, it, it can really be a game changer for somebody that's mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. new to it. Yep. Yeah. We'll go over all kinds of stuff like that. We'll, 
We'll go through all that. We'll go through equipment they'll get to shoot. We'll go through pros and cons of tree stands, blinds, saddles. They'll get to try all of those kinds of things. We're going to do a little bit about optics this year. Vortex uh, Canada was nice enough to give all of us ambassadors a document about um, optics. It's called um, The Glass Room. And so it's Mm -hmm. a really cool um, PDF of all the different kinds of kind of notes and things that you should know, know about uh, your optics kind of to make sure that they are optimal for you and your eyes. Um, So we'll go through that. We'll go through what happens like anatomy and shot placement. We'll go through what happens after the shot, transporting a little bit of safety stuff, all kinds of things like that. So they'll get, it's similar to what I did at becoming an outdoor woman, but a little bit more in depth this time and a little bit more Mm -hmm. hands-on stuff. I have a really This is something I'm super excited for. I have a really great demonstration tool that Scott Holman from Brandon made for me. He's um, one of our taxidermists. And so he asked me to bring in a bunch of broadheads. And for me, like I never buy new stuff. I don't know why I have had the same broadheads in my, like on my arrows for years, even after like shooting through turkeys and hitting stones and skipping across the gravel after a pass through like, they are garbage. And um, so he asked me to bring all of the broadheads I have, and he made me a really great demonstration tool. He gave me some deer hide and then some tanned leather, um, some tanned deer leather. And it's the purpose of it is to show um, what kind of force is needed with each of these broadheads to make sure that they will pass through for a, you know, a good like ethical shot that Mm-hmm. allows the animal to pass quickly so okay. that's really cool um and like here's a little here's the little plug is you know if you're um if you are like me and you have a problem with or are a procrastinator and don't buy your stuff now is your here's your sign to get stocked up on all of those little things that you need for deer season like broadheads it is coming soon so it Make your orders now. Don't wait for the last minute order. You can head over to Harvester Outdoors on their website. You can purchase broadheads there or any little item that you need and have it shipped straight to your mail so that you are not late for the upcoming season. Mm-hmm. Not only late, make sure you're checking over your gear. Um, Harvester does stock uh, wax for your string. That's kind of a lesser known thing maybe for like these ladies that are coming into the archery weekend here they don't mm-hmm. know so much about the uh the sort of small small but large things with uh with archery and mm-hmm. get, get that string wax take care of your strings mm-hmm. they they I, have it fully stocked at harvester get it in go to their website get a ship mm-hmm. right to your mailbox and i find too that you know as not not all women are like this and for sure but I know that, you know, when I started out kind of with that stuff, I was like, I'll leave it to the professionals. Just take it to the shop, get the shop to do it. And you know what? Sometimes the shop doesn't always have the time or they're not focusing on specific things. You know, they're they're checking out something different on your bow or helping you with something else. And they maybe just overlook, um, not purposely, but they just overlook some other little things. And so it's good. You know, we'll talk about a bunch of stuff like that and about the gear and and just, you know, making sure that you check over those things if you hear noises, if something's not flying right, if the, like, you know, all those little things. So, mm-hmm. And for those listening to this podcast, make sure you reach out to April if you have any questions for the future of this, uh, this program that she puts on. This is her second year doing it. Mm-hmm.
um, and she is more than accommodating for new to experienced hunters. Come on out. We, uh, we only benefit from the wealth of experience that we can share with each other. So she's obviously uh, quite the archer in the province of Manitoba and really prides herself on her ability to, to teach these things. She, she can share these things and, and help you out so much. And yeah. Thanks. That's your one. <laughs> hey, before we get too mushy, let us get into episode um, 155 with our buddy Josh or Adam. So tonight on the podcast, I have two gentlemen who are very near and dear to me. Uh, we've got my husband, Brennan, co-hosting this episode. So you say hi so we can hear your voice. Hello. And then we also have our very good family friend, Adam, or Josh, we kind of know him by both names. So we have him on tonight to chat about the very cool conservation style things he gets to do in his daily work, as well as maybe some different hunting and fishing stories. So welcome to the podcast, Adam. Well, thank you very much. Hi, April. Hi, Bren. <laughs> Uh, so for those people that are listening that maybe don't know you as well as we do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, so uh, I have to address the two name thing first because people are going to be confused. So legal name is Josh Adam Dillabaugh, where I grew up with my family and with my very close friends. Everybody referred to me as Adam. You move out west, you go to school, and they don't have a preference of how you're called in classes. Um, so then Josh shows up because that's the first name and being someone who's a little bit easygoing and not wanting to correct a professor or anything like that, it, you just kind of go with the flow and then, and then you start leading a double life where, uh, professionally <laughs> and like, I guess through school, you're known as Josh. And so you have a whole group of friends that way. And then family and close friends, um, know me as Adam, um, but I probably have a thousand nicknames. So um, depending on who you talk to is depending on all appropriate, what, all appropriate yeah. nicknames. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so as, as you mentioned quickly, I work for the nature conservancy, Canada, we're Canada's largest private land trust. Um, we stretch from coast to coast and we dabble a little bit up North, uh, and our, our key tagline is biodiversity. So we look to protect biodiversity across all of Canada. And for those people, you know, probably gonna throw a lot of $5 words at you as my brother likes to say, but biodiversity, it's the number of different species across the landscape. So the more species we have across the landscape, the more robust that system is and it can adapt better. Um, the other thing too, is that as humans, we've attained a mantle of responsibility where you know everybody needs a home i have one you guys have one and all the little species from tiny little butterflies to big mammals need a place to live so that's kind of what we focus on that's awesome so josh uh to start off each podcast that we do we like to ask what we call the five burning questions and they're just some kind of like fun questions that help the listeners get to know you a little bit more than we already know you so there are five of them and I kept them all, which is rude of me, but I'm going to try and really quickly send one to Brennan. Um, I have one. 
Do you? Okay, you go first. Well, I have, yes. Well, I know of three of them. Okay. <laughs> but uh, your last meal, what would be a last meal? You know, meteors coming, about to slam into the earth. What are you making for the family? <laughs> what are you, what are you oh, doing? Do I have <laughs> to make you, it myself? No, like... no, you don't no. have to make it yourself. Anything, okay. anything and, like anything. anything in the world. Okay, so whenever I think of last meal, probably something I'm never going to have again that I had. It probably ties into the experience a little bit, but uh, my wife and I like to, before children or before our child, we like to travel down south. So one of the meals we got to have in Costa Rica was called ceviche mixtos. And it's like your standard, it, not your standard ceviche. What they would do is they almost, they took a, a peeler and they would peel a potato, but it was like almost like a long noodle. And they made like a oh. giant nest and they fried it. And then at the season that we were there, they put lobster and what they called sea bass. So sea bass could be many things there because the translation from Spanish to English and then drizzle that with lemon and lime. And then they frothed a bunch of lemon on top and put like Ooh. sugar on top. Like surprisingly not what you would first think of, but uh, whenever we stayed in that town, we went back three nights in a row to that restaurant <laughs> every night. We had ceviche mixed those every night. And yeah, if, uh, if flights were better, I would go to Costa Rica just to go back to that little town for that <laughs> little ceviche mixed those. So there you go. I like that. Uh, as far as answers go, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Because <laughs> the rest of us are always like, steak. I'm just yeah. going to eat a steak. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I have one for you. <clears throat> um, what would you say that you feel is the most underrated wild species? Oh, wow. <laughs> you really put me on the spot there. I feel so smart for that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, um, Josh Brain just knows so many species that it's just like, <laughs> well, it's racking. Yeah, so I'll I'll go with one. It's not like crazy crazy rare, but it's it's fairly rare. Um, and it's more like a family than a specific species because there's three or four species that are kind of across Manitoba with this. Um, the big unveil is is it's called a tiger beetle. Um, so as you can imagine, by the sound of it, it sounds pretty ferocious. I got to see my first one quite a while ago. Uh, there was a researcher came out from Winnipeg and he was catching them and it's like, what do you like, what are these? And he's like, it's tiger beetle. And I'm like, okay, tell me more. And they, they like sandy areas. So, um, any open sand, they'll burrow a little hole and they're actually predatory beetles. So whenever he's catching them, he pinch he'd hold them but he'd pinch them just behind the head a little bit mm -hmm. and i'm not sure the exact ratio on it of what like the pincers that pop out on it but it looked like it was like a third of its body length were just jaws coming out the front of this thing overall i think from what i remember they're about like maybe 10 10 to 12 centimeters long so they don't get like huge huge but they rely on these open sand spots to basically uh, run around and catch other bugs and, and eat them. So they're, they're kind of cool that way. That's different. I didn't even, never even heard of that before. And there you go. That's, there's one that, you know, I, I could have just went, Oh, I love an elk or a moose or something like that, but underrated. Yeah, uh, I would say that, uh, yeah, let's go with the tiger beetle. 
So you like, so said a researcher came up. What was he? What was he doing exactly? Looking for tiger beetles. Um, Just, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. So I meant to say, with, hey, I found some. <laughs> no. So with uh, with a lot of these researchers, especially with rare species, um, because we don't really know that much about them, and that's the thing is this. Um, there's not too much open exposed sand left within Manitoba. Um, you think about how our province over time has changed, not having a lot of people, having a lot more animals and just what a wide open landscape it was and how easily disturbed it was. Um, there was quite a bit of open sand way back when, you know, fast forward from, you know, I would say European contact and settlement further on, there's a lot more, encroachment of stuff. So there's a lot less of these sandy areas out there. So it's important to, to almost come up with a baseline of where are they, where are they not? And like I said, mm -hmm. there's a few different species, right? So there's a, I don't want to go too crazy into it because I'm not the foremost expert on them, but um, part of my job is helping facilitate um, access to our properties that you know, could work for these researchers to do these different things on them. And, and sometimes you get to go in the field with them and then they're like, hey, here's the tiger beetle. And you're like, what the F is that? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool. Brandon, do you have another one? Yes. Okay, go. Mm, well, I'm saving the best one for the last one, I think. If I, I think you know what that is. But uh, dream species of fish to catch. Do you got something in the world, anywhere in the world, that you're just thinking about? Like, <laughs> what what would you what would you just die to catch? Like, what's your what's your go to? Is it a is it a perch in uh, Lake Dauphin, or is it a <laughs> Come on. Fish down, down south? Like, what is it? Curious. Curious. Okay. So man like it's hard to just nail down one like it uh so is it really growing, is it really that hard it is it is like <laughs> i am caught between two right now oh one oh. is like super far away access um but but growing up my grandpa my grandfather was a really big fly fisherman so i'll i'll pick more of the ones and he would he was very techie so he would like i remember him having a betamax and a vhs and like the first one to have a dvd player he had like a pirated like american mini satellite dish like oh before <laughs> like you could <laughs> buy them anywhere and had it for like years and he would always watch like different types of adventure shows and stuff like that one of them was giant taman which are a species of trout that live in the rivers what? of mongolia oh and my goodness this was guys back in like late 80s early 90s so giant taman with pike-like teeth and what? they're repping big streamers on surface flies in the rivers of mongolia are you googling it right now it looks like yes you are. <laughs> <laughs> well there's our next family vacation <laughs> going to mongolia <laughs> so Okay. fly fishing for taman in mongolia what yeah this, this like... is the world's largest salmonoid and one of the oldest species on earth of course you would pick that <laughs> are they like dino trout pike yeah. i'm like it, it's not even oh my yeah they're like dino trout pike yeah. literally <laughs> yeah just <gasps> little huge. tiny t-rex arms too they're huge <laughs> and they're so dark yep 
Wow. And then, but then, um, like, I'm guessing this is spawn when they get that, like, orange, those couple orange, uh, like, yeah. back fin. Yeah, that's a lot like, like your char species. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. They hold it like almost like a catfish. Yep. Jeez. Is it Leave that it to word? Adam to come up with something cool. <laughs> well, wow. You got tiger beetles. You got these tiger beetles awesome and tame Mongolian taimen. Jackfish trout from Mongolia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to ask a not as fun question now. <laughs> <laughs> but sort of fun because you like traveling. So my question, my last question for you, but there will be one more, is if you could go absolutely anywhere in the whole wide world, I guess, or space with your family, where would it be? Oh, family? Like, and like Caden is or space. <laughs> yeah, or space. Um yeah, you can and Caden is you like can count space out for this kid. Like space is not something not where you're going. I watched I watched Alien once and nope. <laughs> nope. Yeah, nope. <laughs> and and like for your answer, Caden is like travel ready. Travel ready. Uh, you know what? I I think if it's gonna be family and Caden's travel ready I think a first spot and a great place to dip the toes in the water is going back to Belize we had Ooh. a lot of fun in Belize it's pretty easy to get around and had some pretty good fishing in Belize whenever we did some family trips down there so I'm assuming if Caden is travel age ready then he'll also want a rod in his hand and we'll go catch some yellowtail snappers or something like that yes I like it <laughs> Brennan, you get the fun question. I do get the fun question and I'm not, I won't swear, but so picture this, you have a million bucks. Bills are paid. RESPs are all set up. School's taken care of for the kiddo. The wife isn't looking. What are you spending that million bucks on? Oh, well, I think like the cop-out answer is going to Mongolia to catch Tainan. <laughs> but... With your pet tiger beetles. <laughs> yeah, with my, my army of pet tiger beetles. Come on now. No, I'm just going to have one. No, no. Uh, oh. Buy yourself a jet plane with a million dollars. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like buy yourself a farm. Like whatever. What, anything. What is like the wildest dream that you have? So Obviously not space. <laughs> we, we, yeah. we know not space. Yeah. 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 No space yeah. shuttles. I am not joining the space force. Uh, yeah. Sorry, Mr. Trump. I am not joining the space force. <laughs> uh, okay. Cause I could sit here and think of things all night long, but okay. You know what? I, I am going to have to say Mongolia, but it's not just for the fishing. It has one of the largest grassland expanses in the world left. And it would be one of the things that I, I, I like with some of the adventure things that I get to do and with my work, some things that I think really ground me are feeling, um, how's the best to describe this? Feeling small. So like our world is very connected for the most part. There's some remote areas and like just having that, thought process like I am just one human on a tiny rock in the middle of the cosmos like I am very small I am not the center of this world I am not the whatever given being from that and just to sit out on a landscape where it's just the grass moves like the ocean 
like I've been lucky to see that a little bit here in Manitoba. Our grassland expanses aren't that big, but to see it, it's almost like stepping in a time machine, like because they don't have the rate of conversion in the grasslands over there is what we do here. You're not going to see short faced bears. You're not going to see like grizzlies on the plains there or anything like that. But just to sit in a vast like sea of grass and just that little nothingness and then you know like five minutes later hopping on a helicopter and then go catch more giant fish (laughs) (laughs) just so insightful just like peak tranquility and then chopper to my (laughs) jackfish trout yeah get to the chopper (laughs) (laughs) excellent i like it that's why we get along (laughs) i love that (laughs) okay well those were very wonderful (laughs) well thank you thoroughly enjoyed that uh okay let's get into the let's get into this podcast here um i'm gonna i i think i'm gonna ask you like a bunch of questions about work related and then i i know that brennan has been wanting to ask you some questions about hunting and hunting stories and like personal and like like our friend adam not not so much the professional josh okay so i'll let him do that i'll i'll allow him to have a little bit of a voice here <laughs> but only after that, i'm done <laughs> that, that that is in fact how marriage works i will wait my turn <laughs> thank oh, you yeah. <laughs> I'm actually so happy that he's on this podcast with me. I just feel like, I, like my cheeks are already sore. And I'm like, oh gosh, I've been missing this. We'll finish this up and it'll be, did I do good? Yeah. Please tell me I did good. Yeah. Uh, okay. My first question in my set here for you. Uh, so before I start asking you like a whole bunch of questions about your job, um, can you tell us, like you told us a little bit about yourself, but can you kind of explain to us like a little bit about how you got into the outdoors and maybe what, like what triggered you or what led you to this kind of job in conservation and biodiversity? Like, I feel like that's super specific and you really have to be, I feel like a a specific kind of person that can that can continue to stay and love a job in conservation and biodiversity. So can you kind of like, I don't know, tell us the story, like set the mood for us about this. Okay. Well, uh, we're going to have to rewind then. We're going to have to go way, way back. And like the way, the best way to describe it is, is how I got my spark for the outdoors and eventually what led to like what I do now for work was a connection with family. So from where, where I grew up, I I grew up in the Ottawa Valley. Um, So there is like within my family, a pretty big hunting and fishing tradition in there. Um, I grew up listening to the stories of my uncles and my grandfather and, you know, deer with the name of jello because they were so big whenever they walked through the bush the muscles rippled on its back and so they called him jello because he and then it, you know i think they would play it up they obviously played it up a little bit but then you know um and hearing stories of um you know not always 
legal things to do, but I think they're past the uh, the statute of limitations. But um, in the wintertime, usually uh, trout opener was January 1, and my dad telling stories of him and his brothers going and fishing on Christmas Day and how the speckled trout or brook trout, um, depending on where you're from, bit best on Christmas Day and, you know, sneaking up and making sure you didn't walk too far out on the ice because you didn't want the wardens driving by and noticing anybody fishing out on the lake or anything <laughs> like that. So hearing stories of, of hijinks from, you know, my, my dad's side of the family and then from my, my grandpa's side of the family, it was more stories of fly fishing and pheasant hunting and woodcock hunting. And we never, as a kid growing up, my dad worked for Hydro. He was a lineman for all my formative years. It wasn't until I was in university that he took a, uh, a more management style job. So with that, there's a lot of on-call. There's a lot of storms. There's a lot of dad's not coming home and you're not sure when dad's coming home. That sporadic work schedule where you know, keeping the lights on, keeping everybody in power. That's, you know, important. <laughs> Obviously, you know, hospitals need power, all that kind of good stuff. So a lot of the connection we had with my dad, like growing up was the times that we got to go camping, the times that we got to go canoeing, the times that we got to go fishing or hunting. My mom tells a story. It's slightly embarrassing, but not like terribly my brother got to go to our deer camp for the first time and I was stuck at home and I stood at the door with my bag and my clothes and I stamped my feet and said, I go to, I go to, I go to. And I was there for five or six hours, like after they left because I wanted to go so bad. So that's kind of how it starts is you, you get this passion and you have all these wonderful memories, family memories of, you know, um, going and catching red-eared sunfish or pumpkin seeds or, you know, bass um, in the fall time. You know, we didn't have a, a lot of species at that time to hunt. It was mostly uh, grouse, rough grouse and, and deer. And those being very family-centric events, like there's a two-week rifle season whenever I grew up as a kid and you know saturdays were for the kids so we'd go in and do that and then over time you know i i think everybody going through school is like i want to be a fireman uh you watch top gun for the first time i want to be a fighter pilot you know you come around to different things and shout out danger zone yeah shout out danger zone <laughs> sorry and then eventually um you know through school and stuff like that i was pretty good at biology and then you know, trying to think about what do I like? What do I, I want to do in the future? And I, I grew up in a place that had a lot, a lot of lakes, like um, cottage country in Ontario. I, I don't know how many lakes we had, but there was a huge plethora that we um, could have access to and, and did fish all the time. So it was, I want to be a fisheries biologist. And that's kind of what I had kind of set my sights on to be like, this is what I want to do. Um, cause I like fishing and then life has, life has some steps for you and some things you, you have to learn along the way. So yes, I wanted to be a fisheries biologist and I worked for a fisheries assessment unit a little bit in Ontario and got some experience there. Uh, did creel census at Lake of the Prairies in school, 
helped up at Riding Mountain National Park as part of the Clear Lake project. So that was water chemistry. And we did some index netting up there too for uh, a bunch of different species. And then as, as people get to learn, the environmental field is not always a, an easy place to get into. And I, you know, for some career paths, if you're going to be an engineer, there's a job in engineering. If you go through the environmental field, there's usually a three to five year period of, and this is what my wife and I talked about ahead of time to be like, we're going to give it three to five years to see if we can get on somewhere permanent because we knew people before us and we knew there was at that point in time, there was a lot of contract to contract work and we'll try and piece this together to see if we can make something work and see if something can stick. And, you know, just through the connections made through different jobs, like I wanted to be a fisheries biologist, but my first, you could say a job out of university, I was in a helicopter crew. We were catching caribou and wolves, like, and collaring them like in BC. And then, you know, two months later, I, get a contract for Ducks Unlimited Canada and we're doing spat surveys and I was there for three weeks and then I'd applied because like you just apply, 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 apply. And then all of a sudden there's a, a longer term contract that it's like, sorry, Ducks Unlimited, I'm going to leave. And then I'm going to go to this other job, which was, I think it was a nine month contract, eighth or nine month contract. And like, that was all based on habitat assessments. And it's like, well, I took a lot of, what I thought, I, I, I know my plants. I took a lot of, you know, plant classes and stuff like that. And um, yeah, then you get humbled being like, <laughs> I have to go back to all the guidebooks. And, and then, yeah, just kind of relearning yourself, networking. And then I was lucky that whenever I got hired onto the Nature Conservancy Canada, I was, I was hired full time. There's some staff that we have now that are still on contract and have been there for some time. And it, it's on it's an unfortunate way that the environmental field are, but it's, it's quite competitive. And um, there's, you know, lots of people love being outside. Lots of people want to work with animals, want to work with fish. The amount of um, students that I've met at different conferences or trade shows or different things like that being like, I want to be a big game biologist. And it's like, yeah, I want to be a fisheries biologist. And here I am like um, managing lands in the name of nature conservancy Canada. Like, so you can have what you would like to do. And, and for some people that like really stick to it, I am like, there is no doubt that they could have, I could have became a fisheries biologist or if I wanted to, I could have became a big game biologist and worked somewhere. Um, but you know, then there's also the life side of things too, right? Like you meet somebody, Oh, like things are going well. Well, let's try and make this work. Well, you're both working in the environmental field. So are you going to compete for jobs? You're not going to compete for jobs. Like who's going to apply for what? Then you got to kind of figure out how you're going to be in the same place. Oh, they got to figure that out along the way. And then it's like, well, maybe I'm more than just like you. Maybe we should, you know, do something about this and spend the rest of our lives together. And it's like, all right, <laughs> let's fly something. to Mexico and bite a bunch of friends and, you know, pledge ourselves to each other over time. And then, then a while later, it's like, boom, kid, whoop. <laughs> And then here we are, fast forward. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. fast forward. And here we are to today. And we will always remember Mexico. Always. <laughs> Some of us will. <laughs> Most of it, yes. <laughs> that was a time. That was a good time. 
some of it might be a little fuzzy. But. I, it's interesting that you say about kind of like the competitiveness in the, in the industry for jobs and like having to resort to kind of like more contract work, because I'm not sure if you know Kelsey from Winnipeg, she's a biologist and her specialization field is ornithology birds. I'm not yep. sure what, I don't know if I said that properly, but That's her right. specialization is birds. And uh, she kind of mentioned the same thing to me this past weekend, just about she has kind of, if you want to call it resorted to, but just picking up lots of different like little contracts to keep within the industry and make her connections and hopefully find a you know permanent position somewhere someday. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it definitely is. If there's anybody out there who is looking for career advice, like right now, we are dying for people that can identify rare insects. So really? like, yeah, they're, um, one of them is called Dakota skippers. They're a little skipper moth butterfly looking thing. So they got, they look like a fighter jet or one of the old F-15s, if anybody remembers Top Gun. So it's got, whenever the wings are relaxed, it's got two upright wings at the back that V up and then two flat wings off to the side. And whenever it's in flight, obviously it goes out, but whenever it's resting, it's got that. It's one of those ones that we don't know much about where historical records say they were everywhere. And much like a lot of the work we're doing now with power streak skipperling down in Southeast Manitoba, it's a globally imperiled species. Like it's only in Southeast Manitoba and a little bit in Minnesota. And like they're doing the captive reading program for that and you know, are we at the same place with the Dakota skipper? We don't know because there's only a handful of experts that can identify them on the wing or by catching them. Mm -hmm. And they do so many different things that it's hard to get them to focus on that one thing. So a little career advice, if if you like butterflies, like you could, like, I know, um, like internally, there's been a few years where we've had money to throw to someone like a Kelsey uh, with that specialization and we can't find anybody. You can't find anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it is tough. Um, It is tough to get in and you know, they, they say it might get better. It's hard to say because there is so much passion like within the field work, especially ornithology. Like there's some people that are hanging on because they love the work and you know, how cool is it every day? You might, you know, get to go out and look for birds or do mist netting or whatever. Like, Mm-hmm. It's uh, it was kind of cool when I was chatting with Kelsey because, um, like I don't know, there are a lot of people who can, who can um identify a bird based on like its color, or based on the sound that it makes when it sings, or it's you know a, a like a like a breeding sound or whatever, right? And uh, so all weekend I was just like, Kelsey, what's that? Kelsey, what's that? Kelsey, what's that? And and yeah. that things that she can identify because her specialty, she can identify the birds based on just the flight pattern or the shape of them. Like there were so many birds that were silhouetted because of the sun and the lake and everything. And she could identify everything that I asked her to. And I'm just like, how do you even, how do you even, or you would say, the sound sounds like this and you have a human voice and it doesn't sound anything like what the bird actually sounds like. And she's like, Oh yeah, that's one of these. And you're like, what? Like, man, you just are so smart. That's the passion. You biologists. Yeah. Well, 
you know, um, everybody has superpowers, right? And and some people can have that audio, like that ear, where they can yeah. just pick up, pick that up. Um, you know, I I know some. I am. I like to say because of like my work, I I know a little, but a little, and I I definitely know what I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so half the time people are like, what's this? I'm like, I don't know. That's Brandon asking, asking Josh. What's that? What's this? Mm-hmm. Dad, dad, can you tell me what this is? <laughs> bird, bird identification. I know the delicious ones. That's really all that matters. Right? And, and you know, like my, my former boss, he lumped them into the, animal or the birds that he could identify and then the nopes and the nopes are the ones we don't shoot and he knows everything <laughs> that he wants to shoot but that's right somebody be like what's that oh that's a nope that's a nope <laughs> yeah that one don't know it don't matter <laughs> yeah doesn't taste good on a barbecue so who cares <laughs> i'm not sure exactly how to ask this question but it's it's something that i kind of wanted to st- start off with because i sort of understand but yet i don't like what in your like in plain terms because that's the big thing is like when you google it you get this really interesting answer and you're like oh yeah i get it and i totally don't get it so in your line of work and you've maybe sort of answered this at the very very beginning but what does like what does conservation and biodiversity within your line of work actually mean maybe that's like what does a person in your role do what are your main activities or or like with your daily job what are your goals what is what is your ultimate goal with the things that you do okay so there's there's a lot to unpack within that particular question you know maybe i'll crack another drink yeah yeah you might have to this uh okay i gotta stretch this out Uh, here we go okay let's do this yeah so the i guess the best way to answer that question is kind of to go through the Nature Conservancy Canada and understand as an organization how we work and and my role within that. And like early on, I talked about biodiversity conservation across Canada. And, and that takes on very many different uh, shapes, forms, and understanding. And I guess the basis of that is doing a lot of research and developing planning tools and knowing in what areas to work. So we spend a lot of time at the front end developing what we like to call natural area conservation plans. So it's defined by a geography, an area. And basically we look across that area and be what's most rare, where there are concentrations of species, where there are concentrations of habitat, where the rare species. And we kind of well, we don't kind of, we draw a line around it. And usually it's based on a watershed size environment. And some of them can be big and some of them can be small. And like I said, they're all across Canada. And it really, that plan identifies what we need to do within that area or what we feel we need to do to be successful. And whenever we develop these plans, we really try and work with uh other conservation organizations and also local um, parties of interest that, you know, you talk about Kelsey having an interest in birds, you know, she lives somewhere. And if somebody like that lives in a community that we would 
we know about or are working in, we'd like to hear from them to understand that. So it kind of all starts with that planning, knowing, knowing what you know and knowing what you don't know to kind of fill in the gaps. And then, you know, depending on the area could really define the goals and the targets that we're looking at because, you know, I would say a lot of core conservation organizations um, outside of like the main wetland ones originally, it was kind of, we were picking off what we could, um, where we could kind of all over the place. And it was like a shotgun pattern. Whereas, you know, wetlands were, you know, focused on specific areas. So those are, you can be very focused to work on those specific areas where, you know, something like native prairie or Aspen forest or something like that, it, it can be much more broader uh, across a landscape. So picking out little parcels here and there. Um, and then it was like, our, we had that thought process. Are we being effective? Are we um, being strategic? Are we getting our values worth? Are we helping the community? Are we hurting the community? Like, cause we don't, we wanna work with community members. We don't wanna hurt the community. Can we be an ally to this group? And I think, you know, especially within the world of conservation, partnership is an exponential power where you know pooled resources and expertise together is way better than kind of being divided out and just you know throwing your blinders on and be like oh don't look over there like we don't do that um <laughs> so that's kind of the the thought process on the planning and and how we go moving forward and then we set our goals and oftentimes we set lofty goals whether it be um, acreage goals, which under the latest strategic plan, it's a million hectares all across Canada. Just a few weeks ago, they announced our grassland campaign across Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and that's 500,000 hectares. So that's half a million in, in, in grasslands. They would like us strategically to try and have over a million supporters and supporters can mean a bunch of different things. Like somebody that basically, you know, if you ever answer the robocalls, which I never do from all the polling agencies to be like, have you heard of Nature Conservancy Canada? Do you like what they do? Do you not like what they do? And so like having metrics like that of, you know, having people engaged and in supporting the work we do at however they can really. Um, and then I guess to continue on like down this question of then, then how does it work here and what do I do? So I, I work in kind of sandy, grasslandy areas within Manitoba, southwest Manitoba, kind of from the number one south over to Portage, and then kind of follows the Assiniboine and Surus down to North Dakota, kind of snakes in and out through there. So that's my defined area of where there are natural area conservation plans. And, you know, I have four plans that I am to implement and Implementing them means that, uh, so in some cases, we'll buy property. So I'll look for properties to purchase. In other cases, it'll be conservation agreements. And conservation agreements are, I guess the best way to describe them is the landowner still owns the land, but they voluntarily restrict development. Because oftentimes, um, I, I think, I'm not sure if all the listeners are know, but if you drive across Manitoba, the habitat is not continuous there is cultivated fields and obviously edges and trees and, you know, all that different stuff. And we're just basically trying to stop the loss. So the conservation agreement, landowner still owns the land, 
but they restrict that development potential. And that development potential could be houses, could be grow crop agriculture. <clears throat> doesn't mean they can't enjoy the property. doesn't mean they still can't use it for livestock grazing. Um, it's still their land at the end of the day. They just voluntarily, and I should say all the time, voluntarily, willing buyer, willing seller. We don't. We're not the government. We're a national nonprofit charitable organization. I always throw the joke out there whenever I go, I got a coffee can in the trunk of my car. And, you know, if you know anybody who's got too much change in their pocket, let me know. I'll go get the can. But we focus on basically trying to stop that that gap. So, you know, we have purchases, conservation agreements, and then variations between that. We receive donations of land and donations of conservation agreements and, and different things like that. So that's kind of like the one side of the of the uh, of my job, which would be <clears throat> that habitat protection. On the second side is is okay. You got it. Now what are you going to do with it? And that's where we work through doing those detailed inventories, having friends or friends or people um, that have expertise like your friend Kelsey to come out and help us give us a long list of species on the property and then from there it's what's most important how do we want to manage this and managing it could mean that we're going to put a fence around it graze it it could mean that we develop a burn plan for it we're going to burn it in rotation it could mean um, we do nothing at all with it because it is perfectly fine or we let the neighbor pay it every year because that also helps too. where the invasive species we got to take care of those to make sure that we have a robust environment out there and and then after you secure it and then you have the plan of okay this is how we'd like to manage it then you're then you're the dog that caught the car right like now we got this now what do we do with it <laughs> well we <laughs> we've got a plan for what we're going to do with it but how do we <laughs> actually achieve it right like <laughs> You, you've latched onto the bumper now like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so then it's it's doing that implementation and mm -hmm. you know we use an adaptive management cycle where we're willing to try things you know we're not we know that we we know what we know and there's new information coming in all the time so um we're not trying to pigeonhole ourselves to be like we only do this um because it may not make sense like across mm -hmm. manitoba we have it's such an interesting province in that like you have basically four or five different ecological habitats all coming together at the same time and all just squished and mashed together and what works out here in you know the, the western grassland plains doesn't work in southeast manitoba because they get a huge amount of more moisture than what we do it's a totally different species that lives over there so why would we do the same thing it just uh right. and and trying to have that thoughtful and in a lot of cases, common sense approach. Mm -hmm. So did I get all the way down the question of what, like, whenever people ask me, what do you I do in a day? So. And I was <laughs> like, you know, um, it, it's like spin the wheel on the wheel of fortune or no, not the wheel of fortune, the price is right. And it goes, boo, 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 boo. and then I don't know, like some <laughs> days I'm, I'm looking to talk to different landowners about buying land or doing a conservation agreement or accepting a donation. Uh, the next day I could be a fencer broke somewhere. And then the renter calls me and is like, the fencer's broke. And then it's like, I got to scramble parts together to go help this guy <laughs> fix this thing. You know, hopefully before the cows get out to, 
oh, I, I don't know. I, I'm touring researchers around being like, yeah, you know, you might find this species out here. I don't know. And then, yeah. Uh, and everything in between. A lot of it lately has been like, I definitely, I feel like, feel like the guy at the edge of the chessboard where it's just constantly moving things from my desk to be like, oh, I'm, I shouldn't have picked chess. I should have picked something else. I don't really know chess all that well, but moving the pawns around the board, <laughs> moving the pawns around the board, just be like, you go here, you go here. Right. And then sometimes, you know, whack, it's getting hit back at you. Like you're getting your butt kicked, but you know, then you try something else and see if that mm -hmm. works too. And yeah. So yeah, I, I hope I answered it all. If not, feel free to dig into it. I, I talked a lot for a long for time there. You, you did you did I feel like i, I know feel like you needed now. to yeah right like i think i know adam's job more than i know my job now <laughs> no that was good because there was definitely like multiple questions and that's the thing you don't just you know you're not just a secretary answering phones or something like that or you're not just you know your job has so many more kind of pieces to it and sides that you know i'm sure a lot of people probably don't even understand if you're listening to this episode we know you love local and so do we that's why we're going to encourage you to check out your local co-op co-op is in over 600 communities across western canada with over 2 million members co-ops are a member driven organization that serve the local community you can check out co-ops for all your food fuel home and construction as well as agricultural needs a membership costs you ten dollars to get in and you're going to see that back in equity you don't need a membership to shop at co-op but you'd be missing out on all the equity and most importantly your say and how that company runs for groceries if you want to shop online you can check it out online at shop.crs and select markets there's hundreds of local products sourced and packaged all across western canada and even free cookies for children in store at the deli counter. If you're looking at a home and building experience, they have local experts available to help with any plant, large or small, and free home and garage blueprints available for online download. Their gas stations are not just a great place to stop for fuel, but also for snacks and a recharge. They're available all across Western Canada, voted the cleanest bathrooms. They have full service at most locations and car washes at most locations. On the egg side, Co-op's been in the business since 1930 and has continued to lead the way in not just energy products needed for seeding, harvesting, and everything in between, but also in the growing inventory of high-quality products, including crop inputs and feed that Co-op manufactures and distributes. Co-op's private label production selection is growing every year, providing growers with the high-quality products they expect from the name they trust. Co-op also offers a range of fuel, lubricant, and propane products, and also provides farm buildings, grain bins, bulk fuel, fuel tanks, livestock equipment, fencing, and heaters. Wherever you are, be sure to check out your local co-op because they have it all. I don't I, even understand it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I am like I, I get an email or I get a phone call and I'll be like, uh, "What?" Like, yeah. Just uh, let me call you back with that. Uh, just give me one second. Yeah, and it's like, I am going to hang up and hold my head in my hands and be like, what did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Yeah. How fast can Google find the answer for me? Yeah. Which, which, it's funny I said that. Good segue, April. Good, good job. On Google, I saw, 
I read that the NC, so this is on the NCC website, that there are 244 known at-risk species that NCC has like helped or contributed to their like well-being with their work. So my question for you is, how many of those can you name? <laughs> I was just going to say all of them. No, name no, them. <laughs> no, no, not even close to all of them. Like that's like i mean you don't actually have to do that okay good. Be funny. And, no 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 <laughs> latin names yeah. all the latin oh my names. goodness <laughs> no no um, we're gonna stay away from Lenin names today <laughs> no i like there's i would say a bunch like I, um it's that's just like super i don't know that's really cool like i guess you don't you just don't even on a regular day you just don't even think about how many species are you know, put like even potentially in your own backyard? Yeah, you know, a lot of people. Um, I use this example probably a little bit too much, but if anybody went through the grade school around the mid '90s, and I'm not sure if they're still doing it or not, but you know, um, it, through biology class, they would usually have, and I can't remember if it was grade three, four, or five, but it was um, where we would learn about the Amazon rainforest. And mm -hmm. we would do a fundraiser and send money to, I don't know, I can't remember where, to save our acres of forest of whatever we could help fundraise for. And we have like grasslands circumpolar across the world is the most endangered ecosystem. It's mm -hmm. way more endangered than the Amazon rainforest. And like I did as a kid, I've heard other friends say that, yeah, like my kids did it and like they're raising money for the Amazon, but yet right here in our own backyard, we have this huge habitat that, you know, we've lost 80% of it. Like we've lost 80% of grasslands between Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta. That's basically the size of one province. Like Into what? Conversion. Right. So people need some place to live. People need food to eat. And, yeah. you know, through the system that we have, um, you know, I, I'm on team human, but uh, like I, I said a little bit earlier, you know, as humans, we've, we've gotten to a point where, and this is just my, my personal feelings, where we've, we've, be, we've obviously, obviously become conscious, whether we like to believe it or not, and some people like to throw up the blinders, but, you know, we've obtained this mantle of responsibility. We've, you know, to some degree, altered our habitats. Mm -hmm. We've you know, reduce the amount of native prairie and, you know, all in, I think not, I don't think ever there was, you know, the previous generations before us were ever like, ah, screw this. Like who needs this biodiversity or who needs this? Like, I think a lot of it was done within good intentions, right? Like mm -hmm. you had, there's an economic factor to all this stuff and people are trying to make a living. Um, yep. And, you know, if they're, you know, they had previous programs where it was, you know, change your native pasture to this improved pasture system that might put more pounds of beef, like, right. on your cows. So, well, that that makes a lot of sense. Like, if I can make my pasture more productive, I can put more pounds of gain on a side of beef, uh -huh. and then I can make more money at the end of the day. Uh -huh. Or, you know, if if Joe's land if Joe's a row crop agriculture guy and, you know, his neighbor has this wide open field that would be so easy to break. And, you know, he could grow a ridiculous number of bushels of wheat or canola on it right next door. Like, 
you know, why, why wouldn't he expand? Why wouldn't he do that? He, you know, guy's getting old and he's looking at it, you know, yep. getting at him, that kind of stuff. But, you know, we don't, we don't have much left and it, it shows like for those 2000 species, like for anybody that, and I'm kind of reliving my, universe a lot of my university classes like if anybody wants to go and get depressed look at the go go and look at the species at risk list like the federally listed species at risk act like that's only a portion of species that are actually on there because there's a whole bunch that we really don't know about and there's not the specialists out there to really identify them so mm -hmm. each province also has a species at risk list and I can tell you none of them are very short <laughs> i feel like you're kind of like answering this as you go along but for maybe like the common folk that don't necessarily think about this, um, you know, maybe the people that are like raw, raw, convert land, convert land. Why is it, why is it important for us to help out in some way with conservation, biodiversity, the things that, you know, conservation programs do, the Nature Conservancy does, like, why is, why is that important? And I often think about this, like, how can you make it important to other people? And I think, and I think coming through the pandemic, it makes it some of my answer a little bit clear. People love being out in nature, like whether or not we like to think that we're a hundred percent divorced from it or not, but there has been like studies where, you know, people are happier in nature like emotional feeling wise, like there is a connection to it. And yeah, there's a lot of people that live in cities and they are, you know, disconnected to it. And that's a, that's a big thing. But I think the pandemic really helped people slow down, really kind of figure out their space and, and what is important to them. And like, we're just a, a cog in the wheel of that. Like we're really trying to help all those species that are rare and all those habitats have a home mm -hmm. and like I said before, just like we have a home and, you know, there, I don't think there's like a ton of people jumping up anymore being like convert, convert, convert. Um, I just think the way that the economics of things work, like <clears throat> it's really hard for a farmer just outside a city to not take $3 million for a quarter section of land. Like how, like how do you turn that money down to say, you know, and some people do. And I don't know if I would have that within me to do that, but uh, some people have that thought process to be like, nope, like this is my last stand. Like this is the hill I'm going to die on. I don't want to do that. And it, it all, and this is probably sounds like a little bit more wishy-washy, but a lot of the, I would say landowner base now it, we're reaching a, a especially a point in western canada of like transitioning farms so you have an older generation and a next generation kind of coming up and through and maybe some people have a like that of that older generation they tried some things it didn't work so then you know we leave that alone because that's not going to work so you know unfortunately we're not dealing with the best of the best anymore we're dealing with the last of the rest and that's mm -hmm basically kind of it in a nutshell there's only so much left and if you know things keep going it's, it's going to be gone and why like i don't know i guess i am one of those passionate people that it's like but why why does it have to go away it yeah like to me it doesn't and i guess that's why i've 
worked and done what I've wanted to, I shouldn't say what I've wanted to do, but I've been inspired to work in a place where that's the pro thought process every day. Like mm -hmm. the mission and mandate is protect habitat and biodiversity and places for things to live for their own intrinsic values where at the end of the day, why can't a species just be a species? Why, why like, and why does it need to justify it need, needs a home? Mm -hmm. And, and why do we as, as people need to justify it needs a home? Right. Why can't it just have a home? So, so. what can, for example, what, like, what could someone, you know, maybe somebody who doesn't have property to donate or, you know, they're not qualified educationally to be a specialist or a biologist or something like what, you know, like somebody like me, what, what can I do? You know, what, if I, if I was passionate about it and just wanted to do something on a small scale, what could I do? I would say it, you really have to find what you like and from there kind of branch off. So if you're like passionate about birds, like there's lots of organizations you can join to help, you know, count birds or mm -hmm. learn how to count birds if that's what you want to do. Um, you know, there's always typically a, a lot of organizations, ours included, you know, we try and get people outside. We try and get people engaged. And so I would say just become engaged because I, I'm just going to switch the little NCC like working light off right here, right now, um, just so everybody knows that this is my opinion. But we live in a democratic society. And if you are passionate about something, your responsibility as a citizen doesn't happen every four years with an election cycle. Like you have, well, here in Manitoba, we have MLAs and we have our member of parliament. And guess what? You can call them. You can write them about things that are important to you. Not, not just like habitat wise and stuff like that, but that's like, that's your job as a citizen, like is to make your voice heard as the old saying, squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, like it, to, there is so many different ways you can like become engaged, you know, um, I'm sure your listeners have probably listened to uh, a bunch of different podcasts that has hunting related stuff and they have conservation people on all the time. And, I, I'll turn the NCC light on here and be like, you know, we are a charity. So I made the joke about the coffee can earlier, but you know, if, if someone's really passionate about it and, and they do want to, like they can give to NCC and it can help, you know, protect one of those 2000 species that, that you so mentioned on the website. And, you know, it, it could go to Manitoba. It could go to New Brunswick. It could, be wherever they want it to kind of go or it could just go to wherever ncc you know has the biggest need like you know to be an ally to wildlife and 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 rare habitats in general like there i feel like there's so many programs now that's like eco-friendly this eco-friendly that and sometimes it's a little bit of a tag name and stuff like that but like i don't know like at the very basic if you recycled like everything it's, there's not, and I guess this is what I've learned and why I probably sound so wishy-washy is there's not one big red button that we yeah. can push that just fixes it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's a whole, it's the sum of the parts. So right. for, for some people, if they have the time and they have the energy, boy, do we ever, you know, sometimes need help cleaning up fences or pulling invasive species or, you know, that hard manual work for other people who can't do that. 
you know, we have a gentleman that volunteers for us. He takes photographs. He takes unbelievably beautiful photographs. And we use those like in our calendars and we right. use those as promotional materials to let people know how special these places are. Um, we have, you know, other people that happen to have, you know, the good fortune of being very well-placed financially and they are looking for tax breaks. So because we are a charity, like that is a, big tool that we have is we can write a tax receipt for someone mm -hmm. you know there's a few industries that have done quite well through the pandemic and we can help them with tax relief and you know even in our own backyard you know this is something probably silly but um we planted a pollinator garden like you can get mm -hmm. mixes of, of plants and it helps pollinators and yeah like at home we try and you know have dual flush toilets and like all like a lot of the stuff that a lot of people now just think is like common sense but you know trying to have a smaller footprint that's right. i mm -hmm. guess there's mm -hmm. like i said there's no big red button that it's like if we could fix it and we had this magic key to open the cage for like hitting the big red button unfortunately that doesn't exist right not that i know of but <laughs> There could be people way smarter than me that would be like, oh, we just need to do this and we'd be fine. The little things, the little yep. things add up. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's for sure. And, and you know, and, and that makes a lot more sense too when you, when you hear it come from somebody who spends their day-to-day -day work and time and energy in that field, right? Like you're always kind of thinking about, well, if we could just do something, if we could just do something. And it's like, well, if everybody just did a little bit of something, you know, if everybody mm -hmm. did something that was important for some one or two species and, you know, we spread that important task or whatever we're doing, we spread it out amongst a whole bunch of people. Like, you know, maybe we could, maybe we could make a little bit of headway for some of these species. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and that's like talking about <clears throat> that, uh, the partnership before, like way back and having that exponential factor, right? Like right. we could, roll down the highway with the blinders on and be like don't look out the windows but like if we get together we could have that multiplier effect and and who knows mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. like we're working hard on it i know there's other conservation groups across canada they're working hard on it too and you know like them or hate them there are you know government agencies that are are trying to do their best as well um with what they have and at the end of the day it's it's the some of the parts it's like mm -hmm. if you ask 17 year old me this and be like yeah i i would just get in there and i would do this but like real like we're the sum of our parts here like mm -hmm. we're, we all have a role to play in this it's, it's a it's collective just... effort right yep yeah. exactly i i've been thinking about this as every time that we're talking about species and species and species i'm like i wonder if sometimes during his work day he has to like turn off josh and does Adam come out and think about like all of the really cool animals that he could hunt on this land? So <laughs> is, is that a fair statement? Do you sometimes like find yourself like scouting while you're working? 100%. <laughs> I didn't ask you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I didn't say 100%, I would totally be lying. I would totally be lying. <laughs> I'd be and like, then... ooh, like, like just knowing, especially like, I don't know, it, it's one of those things, knowing what I know and have experienced like the different habitats and stuff like that within my area. Like, yeah, just looking at a piece of property, I'm like, ooh, if we can get that one, ooh, if we can get that one, that'd be good. 
I could just see but, I could just see Josh driving down the road, you know, looking out his his driver's side window at a at a turkey in a property, be like, oh yes, the majesty of that turkey and that and that land. And then he goes down and then he turns around, he's looking out at a passenger window. He's just like, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that guy. Yeah. That's that's turkey dinner, right? It's there. like switch on, switch off. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> uh so well for those of you who like clearly most likely don't know these two guys brennan my husband and josh or adam have been friends for a really long time and they've hunted together for quite a long time probably i don't want to age i don't want to number age you guys but like back into probably university days which has been a little while so i I don't know. I think maybe now is a good time to like swing over into sort of your hunting stories and maybe actually let Brennan ask some questions and take the lead on some things. <laughs> well, we could do I'm that. Nervous here. You know, it's only just like a few months ago that we uh, we got out of school. Yeah, only yeah, just yeah. a few months ago. These just guys are so they're yeah. so young. I'm actually just a cougar, and you know, have picked up this young bald man from. University. <laughs> uh, that's in a good way. Now you're just painting a picture oh. <laughs> the audience. Yeah. Bald, shaved bald. I like it. Yeah. No, that's uh, so I'm April's bald husband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> My handsomely, so, handsomely bald so, husband. It's an appropriate introduction to, uh, to, to panoramic here. Um, yeah. No, Adam, uh, Josh, and I, we, like April said, have been friends for quite a while uh, through university, met in uh, in Adam's first year there in residence and got up to all kinds of shenanigans uh no well to who are you shenanigans yeah it has to be said <laughs> yeah it has to be said hey parva what's the place you like with the crap on the walls and stuff like that oh you mean shenanigans <laughs> oh yeah so for, the, also, for those uh, who know no yeah 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 super troopers played a huge role in our life <laughs> Adam and I often have a lot of uh, pop culture references that nobody else will get, but uh, we certainly do. Yeah, I sort of introduced him. I I, I remember one time about uh, bird hunting. We were bird hunting with a uh, with a good friend of ours, uh, Blake Duffield. Was that was that the first time Blake came out? And we were talking about how oh we don't get many snow geese in this slough. Oh we don't get many chickens over here. Uh no, we don't really get too many banded birds either. These are all things that I kind of tell him. <laughs> telling josh before we go into this du slew north of the minnedosa there and wouldn't you know it, we shot a banded snow goose and a chicken <laughs> yeah. the same bloody evening oh chicken over water <laughs> it's just yeah, like it just happened to be going from right? one field to another i smoked that one and uh yeah brand uh brand nailed that snow goose because well, you yeah. know like coming coming out from like ontario where yes there is some waterfall uh and we didn't do it very much and never saw like other than driving around for some field courses and stuff like that never really seen like a snow goose and like especially that first year really didn't get out of residency very much other mm -hmm. than to maybe a local establishment where beverages would be procured and oh, yes maybe some <laughs> loud music was playing and yeah. different things beverages like that. So, Mm -hmm. from what yeah. i remember <laughs> yeah from what i remember so yeah it was like this whole like naivety to or yeah 
naiveness to a landscape and being just like, hey, like, you know, you hear, I don't know, whether whether the stories accumulate over time, but it's like, yeah, it's like just stuff I've never seen or done before. And yeah, we scratched did them you... both off in one night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, Adam, did you um, did you do a lot of like waterfowl hunting back home before you came out here? Or? No, like maybe twice with my brother. My brother was really into it, and that was probably because of my grandfather and stuff like that. But it was uh, if if I've had to describe my evolution as like a hunter and a fisherman, I would say where I grew up, I was way more of a fisherman. Like we hunted for you know in September a lot of the stuff for fishing was closed down. So we'd shoot some grouse and then November would roll around and then you go a week or deer camp and then that'd pretty much be it. And then you'd be back to fishing for, you know, another nine months or whatever till September rolled around. Mm -hmm. And then whenever I moved out here to Manitoba and, and Brandon, I didn't really fall in love with the Assiniboine river. And I didn't really like, I did a little bit of fishing. No, I, what can I say? Like, I, like, I wonder why. Well, yeah, and well, and that's that's so crazy about the Assiniboine. Sorry, uh, like I, I was I was I wasn't in love with it either. Um, growing up, like Dad would take us to to the Assiniboine and Brandon, just at the at the dam there, right? Yeah, and uh, that's that's where we would go fishing when we lived in in Brandon, and yeah, like the North Saskatchewan and or Little Saskatchewan. Um, these rivers and stuff they they grow on you a little bit but there's just there's so many fish you can catch i, I work out in bc now and they have like these trophy wall rivers with uh, native trout in them and stuff but i find myself missing the small rivers and even the service in, in manitoba because i i like going out being able to catch a catfish a carp a jackfish a pickerel or walleye sorry sorry april that's a that's a bad Thank word you. in our house Thank um you and, and like uh even even chubs <laughs> or or whatever all in you know on the same pickerel rig <laughs> with worms. On the same what rig walleye rig no they say pickerel rig on <laughs> um, yeah i'm we'll, pretty sure we'll get into, stuff, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like the the that river grows on you those rivers grow on you i say like yeah they're muddy and brown but there's something about a a big old nasty carp that comes by and gives you a good shake for a while it's <laughs> it's fun so remember remember going back whenever i said i know what i don't know and whenever i came here i had <laughs> yeah. no clue i didn't know like i brought my fly rod with me like and like fished under the bridges in brandon with a fly graffiti rod? and stuff like that with a fly rod being like yeah i should be able to catch something here like no big deal yeah i did it a few times and then i was like meh like let's go find a place where we can get a beverage and there's some loud music and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and then like, just kind of, I don't know, like really leaning on Brennan and trying to, I guess, network to have basically almost have like peer mentors to mm -hmm. like help me out because mm -hmm. yeah, just like I knew how to shoot grouse. I, I knew of shooting deer and like where like we grew up and there's probably a whole nother can of worms, but like where, and my family still does it today. Like deer season is deer drives with dogs. Like that's just a fact of life there. And that's the way I grew up. Like coming out here, it's, it's a totally different animal. Um, yeah, we, we push, push and use children. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Little orange marshmallow children <laughs> through the bush. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. But just like not having 
like and where we hunted like it was pretty much all crown land and and here like there's a little bit more there's quite a bit more like private to public interface and you got to know and you know you got to respect the private landowner rights and everything like that and mm-hmm. like do your due diligence and yeah i so leaning on bren and like a few other friends to kind of figure things out but yeah yeah that first then bren was like you know taper your expectations we've had some good times here not a you know we'll we'll probably shoot some ducks but you know don't don't see much else and i remember we did pretty good we shot a few geese like <laughs> we shot a few canadas <laughs> we did pretty good a, few, a couple of yeah yeah I mean, yeah and, when a, and you, a diverse when, group of ducks too nice. when you go out with brennan though like it's very uncommon not to do well I mean, when you, well, when you, for me, now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like when you take a box of green chocolates out there and leave it on the middle of the field when you're goose hunting, yeah, that makes for a tough day. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's a little more special getting out like, with, with Adam because we don't necessarily go out there just to shoot something, you know, like it's the time spent, <laughs> time spent out there. That's, we have a lot more laughs and a lot more enjoyment just from yeah. a dirty joke in the blind or, you know, like one of us getting stuck in mud or so, you know, yeah. like, yeah, stuff like that, that those, those memories are like way more important than the stuff that you're shooting, the stuff that you're harvesting, the stuff that you're taking. Like it's, it's more about having those memories and, and creating them out there. That's, and I that's think what's too, like you have a special connect, like the two of you have a special connection. And I think too, probably your time with each other is a little different than probably your time with me, Brennan, or, you know, the times that you take out me and Melissa and Blake or something like that. Like those times are a little more, you almost have to, I don't want to say babysit, but, but babysit, right? Like the, the bunch of us aren't necessarily like, diehard waterfowlers and we didn't grow up really doing it you know I I did waterfowl hunt in my youth a little bit but that wasn't our kind of like like Adam that wasn't our primary kind of hunting we were upland hunters with ginger and you know deer hunters in in the winter and Mm -hmm. so I think yeah I think your time is just a little bit different with the two of you because your time Mm -hmm. spent with us is a little more like teaching learning kind of it's actually, babysitting. It's actually <laughs> really funny that you you say it babysitting I, I don't at all I enjoy teaching uh Adam and I have a, a mutual friend that we both uh you know brought into the hunting I'm of course referring to the one and only Sandy um you know we, <laughs> we <laughs> the ginger phenom himself <laughs> the, yeah. the, the literal one and only <laughs> um, uh no like, um I, I wouldn't consider it babysitting I've from my experiences with with Adam in the field, uh, sorry, Adam, I know we're talking about Josh earlier, just I kind of curate how I bring my skills and knowledge to say April and uh, Melissa Blake, Sandy, from what I've learned from you and mm-hmm. your stewardship of the outdoors. I like to try and present that as as often as I can. And it's, yeah, it's, not to be too gushy about it, but I just, I really try and model myself after how you present yourself out there because I just, I very much look up to you and I very much appreciate all that you do for the outdoors. And Aww. it's just, that's, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm out with these guys here. <laughs> it's, it's funny because he's, you know, it's like, what would dad do? That's, that's what I'm doing on the field. It's like, uh, not, not always just like, what would dad do? It's like, what can I get away with that dad would know about? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, and then sometimes it's like, 
how stupid do I look right now? And then I just, <laughs> and then I just see you turn from one end to the end and be like, pretty damn stupid right now. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's, so that's I'm my Jiminy Cricket is what you're telling me. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, no, Brennan, don't do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. But like, know that these are the consequences. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, so I've got Adam as a voice in the back of my head, but that's rooted from just so many years of friendship out in the woods. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, like going way back, there was five of us that got real close. And there's mm -hmm. only, unfortunately, four of us now. And four of us did share a passion for the outdoors. And we tried to, you know, Brent and I tried to help bring the others along. I felt like I had a good foundation in the way I grew up. The other two had less of that. Um, so, you know, we, Brent and I really tried to, to foster that. And, and help grow that because we liked hanging out all the other time. So why wouldn't it be fun to hang out and go hunting and have like just a, a different level to it? And then like, I really remember whenever Bren first started working out West and we didn't get to hunt as much or do anything like that. And it was like between those university times that we had to hunt together and fish together and, and do fun, silly things together and being apart and growing as a human. And then also growing as a hunter to be like, Hey, I want to show him what I've learned. And um, like a interesting story. Sorry, Bren with this is one time I met Bren and one of his friends from Alberta at the DU slew. I was coming back from a bird hunt further north with one of my other university friends that I hunted with and pull up on the side of the road waiting for these guys and here they come flogging out with waiters and stuff like that. Didn't shoot anything that day, but that was okay. And then Brent was like, <laughs> yeah, I got this new goose call. Like I'm not hundred percent sure and stuff like that. He's like, I can kind of make it sound okay. And then he's, and then I'm like, oh, well, let me try it. And then I start ripping on it. And he just looks at me. He's like, I hate you so much right now. <laughs> so much. And like <laughs> just that that evolution to be like, hey, like I really dove heavy into some of this stuff, right? Like I, I didn't come from a waterfowling background. And then it was just like, oh, that that gorge of information to be like, I want more. I've become super passionate about this thing because you know, where, where I grew up, especially like grandfather, on my mom's side, he had a real, like, he had a real heavy influence on my outdoor thought process and hearing stories of him. And I like, really what I should have did is whenever you say the $1 million, I, I would go and figure out how to make a time machine. So I actually could go hunt with my grandpa because I, I never got to. Like I, they told stories of hunting pheasants on Peely Island, um, shooting woodcock uh, on, you know, the shores of Lake Huron um, over dogs and stuff like that. And, you know, what I wouldn't give to have those experiences now, mm -hmm. but, you know, on under those formative years, like basically I moved from a place where I was related to 80% of the population to where I was related <laughs> to nobody. And then I found <laughs> five people, like my people, you know, we're all still very close friends to this day. And it's one of those things that like those guys became my family. Mm -hmm. So like, mm -hmm. it's probably, ah, whatever, we'll go with it. So if one of, uh, one of those, well now three, 
because like I said, we, we lost one, unfortunately. But if one of those three phone me in the middle of the night and say, uh, I can't tell you what we're going to do, but <laughs> we're going to bring a shovel, bring a rug. <laughs> Some people are going to get, somebody's probably going to get hurt. And my answer to them is going to be like, let's take my, let's, let's take my vehicle. Like we'll yeah. take mine. Like those, like that is the kind of bond like these guys are family to me and mm -hmm. um, you know, they say relationships and friendships kind of come and go, but you know, there's the, there's the four of us and you know, they, thieves. Mm -hmm. and, and they're still my family. Like, and you know what they can fight. We can fight. Um, people can, what we think make dumb decisions, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they're, mm -hmm. they're like my, they're like my family. So like, I, I will always defend them to the bitter end. Mm -hmm. And I was always, we'll always fight Sandy and we'll. Always <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I, as, as we're talking and as we're going back and forth from Brennan's screen to your screen, I just noticed that you both have bows in the back and I don't have mine. <laughs> yeah. Mine is actually, mine is actually, my hunting bow is across the table from me instead of. Ah behind me yeah, well you get the lovely view of my utility room storage room y you know what if you called it if you called it like your organized hunting room i wouldn't have known any different oh it is far from organized <laughs> there's a bow there there's, there's some cupboards looks great hmm. yeah yeah so i'm you trying wanna... to think of like other stories blake in the slough when he used to uh <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> so he'd yeah. uh he'd look down and then look out to the side where Adam and I aren't looking and he'd be like, Oh, on our left, on our left, on our left. Yeah. Three o'clock. Then we get ready. Then we'd, then, then we'd shoot up and look and he'd be like, this is a test of your duck broadcasting system. If you're having <laughs> a duck on the left, you would in fact be looking at it now. <laughs> you just like, I don't know. Yeah. You'd get yeah. so focused. He would have us convinced and he's yeah. like, Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah right right yeah. along the water to the left, to the left. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> This has been a test. <laughs> you just, yeah. Oh, I miss yep. him. He was, he was something special. <laughs> yeah. He do was. you already do you already have plans together? Because I, I don't really know. Brennan hasn't made any hunting plans with me. So, do you guys have hunting plans for when Brennan comes home? I think it depends on whenever Brennan comes home. <laughs> I see. As it always seems like. <laughs> I am right now, as we speak, I am looking at an elk archery tag, right above my desk. Are you and really? I am you what area did you get drawn for well yeah where's your elk where are you going <laughs> yeah where are you going let's let's just say around the Swan River area okay can you show what's us it? in detail on the 18, iHunter app 18c <laughs> is that 18c no uh well there's a whole bunch of units up there right like 18 is basically around the Duck Mountains yeah um, and and the north side is I know there's 18, 18A, 18B. Dad, dad's in one of those. She's, thinking, she's trying to be sneaky here. She's just I'm not like, trying to be sneaky. He literally you, you just to told me. Just he told me around. where he's going. Just I'm not stupid. Around. I grew up there. Gosh. Like, thanks for not spot burning, April. Thanks for not spot burning. Um, <laughs> yeah. nah, it, it's like the it's the farmland. So yeah. um, marriage. Up, up there. Uh, up there on the on the farmland. So not not 18. I think it's 13 part of 14 something like that is uh 
is all the detail I'm going to get into right now. She's she's just fever. Nobody else can see her in the video. She's feverishly writing this down. <laughs> I'm, I'm waypointing on my iHunter app literally right now. Yeah. yeah. Shame, shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I was hoping, well, depending on when Bren gets home, but I have, like, I invited Bren and I invited Kelly to come up. And I also did extend that invite to you, April. Oh, did you? Yes. When, when was, was that? Text message. I'm literally going to go back in my text message. Oh, right God. Now. I, I don't I, remember getting this. Actually, you know what? I do remember getting Yeah, you oh, should remember is. because you told me that your dad had an elk tag for around where you guys live. <laughs> oh, yes. You're right. And yep, you okay. might be Foot busy in mouth. depending Foot on in how mouth things disease. go. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe, maybe just look after your own. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Good. So you're so you're gonna take Brennan up to the north, and lose him in the Duck Mountain somewhere. Good. Good. No, no, he's not gonna get lost in the Duck Mountains. Nobody's getting lost. Darn. No, you can't get lost with that. He just. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but Brennan, you need to stick near him. That's the problem. Even if you're with him, you can get lost by walking away. Well, we we'll know. see. Right. We'll see how everything works out. But yeah. Um, sent an invite out to Bren and you know luckily enough that with through the in-laws and stuff like that they have a pretty good base of land so there's a plethora of species that we could mm-hmm. um, chase after too so if Brendan didn't want to come elk hunting there's lots of waterfowl um, mm-hmm. on the in-laws place and there's some chickens running around and well I don't know what other season will be open deer will be open so if you wanted to bring the bow up he could twang twang at oh. some some whitetails and I don't know if bears in that time of year I, I don't want I'm not much of a bear hunter, so I don't really, I don't know much about yeah. bears. I'm getting, I'm getting pretty excited for hunting season this year. It's been a, been a few years since I've gotten legitimately excited, mostly because of work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's going to happen this year. It's going to be, it's time. Yeah. It's hooray. Time. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm even excited. Like I just, it's, it's nice to hear you say that, you know, that you're excited because obviously I'm your wife and I know what, you know, there's some difficulty from prior seasons and, and work like just doesn't allow you to do the things that you really enjoy. And so it's nice to hear you kind of excited about mm-hmm. coming home and, and wanting to spend your time with people that are important to you other than me. And I think that's really great. I think you're, I, I mean that in a good way. Like I think your your friendships with people are very important, not just our relationship. So Mm-hmm. I'm like, good. What can I pack for you now so that you're ready to go? As soon as you get home, you can just turn around and leave. Well, pack the rattling horns because that man can tickle some tines. Let me tell oh. you. <laughs> he can. I have never seen anybody have the level of success with a set of rattling antlers. And sometimes he's such a crappy shot. But oh, that's so probably bad. that's probably the, uh, you know, a little bit of buck fever. Yes. Oh yeah, I get it bad. I do. Are get you bad. um? Are you? What is it? Are you channeling a little bit of inner Jim Burdaney when you're smashing those things together? I don't know. I just. <laughs> I, I, just, I wouldn't just, even call it smash. Like there's no smash. No, like there's a technique. I tickler. Like yeah. he he massages it a little bit. It's, <laughs> no, he doesn't get too rammy. Doesn't get too hard with it. <laughs> oh, no, God. and then and then every once in a while you give him a good crash. And then it's just, yeah, tickle them tines. It's the yeah. same thing. Same thing <laughs> on the t-shirt grunt. made. Same yeah, thing on the go. dang grunt tube. You know, remember that deer 
April yes. that uh, I let out this belch across the whole. Oh, the and whole... I was just like, "What the fuck are she you let, doing?" I just let this thing out like from from squished in all the way through, and just like full dump lung power out, just noisy <laughs> up this buck that come chasing after a doe, and I could feel her head just like slow turning, like, <laughs> "What is your problem?" <laughs> because it just sounded so. Oh, so bad it, it sounded so dumb but wouldn't you know that buck turned and ran yeah like burned like, it over is it is it i'm like yep and it just it sprinted at us and, so and, i could i could call on a grunt tube or i could tickle antlers i could smash antlers i could throw them up in the tree and throw them away forever and never need them again because they never work for me but you <laughs> sit your butt next to that man and he just tick 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 and then just boom 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 they are on you and it's oh, like if there's a buck there he's coming in like he it's, it's like it he, I think I it has something think... to do with having such a punchable face that every other animal <laughs> starts to come beat me up as well. <laughs> like it's like, oh yeah, that guy, I can kick, I can kick the shit out of that guy. <laughs> and they just come running, <laughs> just like, okay, God. But yeah, I can, I can recall a few times where I barely even just like kickling, kickling, and just crashing through the trees. Like, okay, yeah, they just show yeah. up. It's amazing. Yeah, it's I, a timing. And it's a very like, yeah, I I have hunted with deer hunted with him like a handful of times and every time and, and hen handful of times hunted with him for deer, mainly because of work schedule and, and timing. But yeah, just to see him smash, well, not even just to tickle him and the amount of times that the like deer come in and like, I have only other than this year, April with you, because remember it's like yeah let's try this and see if it works like it works for brand so let's give it a go and it, yep. it ended up working there and it worked so that's this only the second time that that has ever worked and that's the first time that's ever happened like in, in rifle season where it's worked like the only other time i was bow hunting and it was like halloween mm -hmm. and like ripped on the antlers and i had something come in like that's the only other time and only one time have i ever like I didn't grunt. I snort wheezed, but I snort wheezed at this buck and it ran like 500 yards across the field. And like the th only three only times where vocalizations, anything like that has actually worked. <laughs> Halloween, like, man. That's what it was. Yeah. I loved, uh, wasn't it Halloween? That very first year I shot out of the tree stand with you. Yeah. Crashing like horns. The day before or Bare something. Barely tickled the horns and we're up in the tree stand. She's got her bow and I've got the black powder. <laughs> and I shoot yeah. the black powder out of the tree. And it was kind of like a, a wet day. Like it had been raining and the smoke just kind of socked into the frigging yeah. tree stand. It was like, baboof, smoked. And it was just like, what in the civil war is going on? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it just socked in around the tree stand. It would just... And just hung there. Just like, hung there. And I remember that was I your like, it? that was your very first time shooting out of a tree stand, wasn't it? Yeah. Because I, I, I do remember you. Yeah. I remember you being like, this is not something that I normally do. This is not something that I grew up with. And I'm like, buddy, man, my dad put me in the highest tree he could find in the Duck uh, Mountains. Like, you're going to be fine. Just, it was just like this. Sight, yeah. Black powder. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, okay, well. I'm not used to this. Because <laughs> my dad wouldn't shoot bullet points. It was all just ball. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Those are the days. 
those are days I want to get back to. Those are the experiences I want to do with with you guys again. So let's do it. Yep. I'm in. I'm in if you're in. This job's almost over. I won't say run out of pipe. There just can't be any more pipe, right? Isn't that how it works? (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I, what was it? Was it four years ago, Bren, where like you had a good break in the fall and Mm -hmm. like we hit it? Well, you hit it real hard, but (laughs) you you know, we hit it a number of times. But yeah. 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 And then you're like, I have to go like right before rifle deer season. It's like, no, (laughs) like of all the, yeah, all the times bad you have timing, to leave. but it's the, the stars are aligning. I can feel it. I feel like the stars are aligning. Me too. Kid's two and a half. He's a little bit more independent. Got an elk tag. And and who knows well, like what's gonna come out from the province of what we're gonna be able to do for otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Like are they are they doing a muley tag again this year? Who knows? Is this, like is this like they, a last minute thing that the province will just issue? That's a great question for the province, not for me. Um, <laughs> Dang it, I, feel, I feel like it'll be like if you're gonna if you're gonna see it you're gonna see it on your um your uh licensing platform you know i'm sure within the next few weeks because people are gonna have to purchase their licenses and tags before the season in time to mail them so. how did uh how did the muley season go last year for the province like was it successful i guess the idea was to eradicate them <laughs> for, for oh. lack of a pardon my ignorance on it but like it was just too many mule deer in the province let's get rid of them I, I think it had to do with chronic wasting disease, like yeah, was the I main guess. intent. Um, yeah. so, so removing them for the purpose. Eradication. Of yeah. Well. I don't know that, um, I'm not sure, I don't remember ever seeing um, any kind of like reporting post season on, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there are some uh, mule deer bucks that made it into, say, like the bow hunting um, record book and things like that. Mm. But mm-hmm. that that's not a that's not an indication of how the season went. That's an indication of how one person's season went. So mm-hmm. yeah, like uh, like I do help out at the Brandon Wildlife Association Big Buck Night, doing like measuring heads and like bunch of rivers and stuff like that too. And there was like uh, like there was a decent amount of mealy horns come in to be measured and scored and stuff like that. So it, it like I think. I don't know how you measure success with something like chronic wasting disease. Um, Like other than uh, it's no longer here anymore. I I don't know if that's going to be the case. I'm not the foremost expert on chronic wasting disease, but from what I've read, it's persistent in the environment. And basically I think that I I don't know what the province's thought process is on it. I just know that um, they had seasons with multiple tags like i think it was one buck and you can get two doe tags and they didn't get the number of samples they wanted by the end of the deer rifle season so i think there was like a month closure and then they opened it back up again for another couple months in february and i don't know if they got the number of samples that they wanted to or not but i do know that and and i i think they did kind of do a wrap-up april i I don't know 100 percent that the numbers of like total tested whitetails, total tested mule deer and test positivity rate. Right. But I, I did get to see a map and I think it was on uh, one of the Manitoba Wildlife Federation emails that came out and it had like locations of where positive CWD stuff were. Okay. And it's, and it's outside like the original, there were test positives and, and there's a whole test positivity rate. Um, whenever I used to, 
work at Parks Canada. It was dealing, in some cases, it was working with bovine tuberculosis. And in some cases, some can be a false positive. Um, okay. But from my understanding of what I saw on the map is these were confirmed positives and it was outside just that original area up of south of Lake of the Prairies, that Dropmore area. And I think the other spot that they had a test positivity rate was down like south of Lyleton, right. like near the U.S. border coming in from there from a, from a mule deer. And then they did like that helicopter call that specific yep. year and then had the hunting season last year. So I don't know what their plan is or what their goal is. I just, from what I can I remember offhand. So how how you measure that successfully like i can tell you that i had a successful mule deer season <laughs> um with the amount of mule deer that's in my freezer uh-huh. which is waning but you know and cool opportunity right i don't i don't know like there's there's been no announcements and yeah um they wanted samples i think they got overwhelmed with the amount of whitetail samples they got because oh. my goodness it took a long time to get results back like they said that six weeks or whatever and Right. I think it was like four to six weeks to get results. And uh, it took longer than that um, for me to get results back. But then also too, uh, kind of, yeah, it was like right in the heart of, well, right at the end of muzzleloader season, right before rifle season, whenever mm-hmm. I submitted my samples. So, so who knows, who knows, they might have some more $5 tags to go out and people can try that again. But if not, it, I don't know. Seems like like your guys' home area. There's another expanded doe tag out that way, and mm-hmm. like I'm not sure how they wintered out at your place, but um, it seems like around the air, the properties that I manage, it seems like they did fine. So many yeah. deer. Yeah, yeah, I think they did. Oh, pretty like good. springtime was nuts. Like it was just the fields are full. It looked like herds of cattle, and yeah. just. Just nuts. Surprised there wasn't more hit on the highway. There's quite a few hit on Highway 5 this year, but I'm surprised there wasn't even more. Yeah, yeah there's quite a few right now. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. I'm not sure what. So did you say expanded? So there's a there's a buck and doe tag in our area this year. Um, well, last year you could purchase. A buck I and believe doe. it was your first tag was a was an antler tag, and then you could purchase one or even two tags after that. Oh, really? Okay, I thought I, it was just I, one. Yeah. I think it was just the one, and I think this year last year i think it was just the one and um if if memory serves me correct and it it doesn't always i i thought i read last year in the regs that they were looking about adding a second tag to to your home area yeah we do not need six deer no no we we definitely don't um yeah it's interesting sometimes when you're out there you're using cameras and you're just when you're using cameras or when you're out there in person and you're glassing a lot like I'll I'll end up just you know taking a side by side of the truck up to the top here and I'll just park in a position that I can put this um my my vortex spotting scope in the window and just kind of like glass the whole field and it's interesting when you get farther along into the season and you know the when they shed their velvet and stuff and and you can like start to really tell like what genetics are where i think that's just i think that's mm-hmm. super interesting we've got a we've got only a few kind of specific styles of antlers around here and you can just kind of tell who's i'm not necessarily who's related but you know which which are which genetics are more heavy on that animal yeah 
No, it is super neat. And I think the area that you have the advantage to do that, like, like whatever you say, lots of deer. Like whenever we bow hunted Bren last September, like, oh my God, for deer. Like, <laughs> yeah. Couldn't get any within bow range. <laughs> yeah, but, but there was so man, many. Like, that that yeah, spot that we got yeah. there out back, it's just like from day one when April first came out to the farm there, it was, you know, just, just wait, just wait, just wait. And then like that last little bit of sunlight and then just like ants coming yeah. out of the dark, like just... Yeah, that's literally how the, I describe it. I remember the first it. time that you took me... I remember the first, very first time it was like maybe our, what, second or third date. And I mm -hmm. came over and it was still light that day. And you took me up and it was in winter, like Christmas time. And you took me up to the back there and it was potatoes that year. And I remember driving up there with the quad, I think. In yeah, the evening. We had the, we had the quad, and it was, yeah. and it was literally in the middle of winter and we drove up there with a the quad. And I remember you like just kind of turning the lights over top of the field and there were just deer absolutely everywhere and that was when i knew that i would marry you <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no dowry required yeah, that's right this guy's got, got some hunting property yeah. okay uh, yeah, he hasn't pissed off his neighbors he's still got permission he's still yeah. good okay well, he's a tolerable human being yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. tolerable <laughs> Well, Adam, Josh, Charlie, you want to go by? I feel like we've kept you on here for almost two hours already, so... Holy. Well, yeah. I guess we'll see if this thing will have a day at two hours or not. I'm, I'm sure it will. A podcast at two hours? <laughs> <laughs> we, we haven't said anything that's like like a cut nope, so... Okay. I still got time. You'll eventually... <laughs> no. You'll, um, you'll eventually hear yourself. For those listening podcast, this far, Nature Conservancy on, Canada on, is a private non-for-profit organization dedicated to protecting well, Canada's hope, natural yeah. areas that well, sustain our plants and wildlife. NCC has some always, wonderful information on their website about their purpose, chat, mission, and, and plans. And you can choose to donate through the website, had, and you can even make a note about where you would like your donation funds used. For more information, please check out www.natureconservancy.ca. April, that was a really good talk we had with Josh. Josh, Adam, evening. We, I know you're we did our best time with your little one and, your <laughs> and explained in the podcast right now, that the name differential there. But uh, no, that was just a really good talk with chatting Josh. Chatting a little I bit really of friendship and chatting um, a little bit of work and, and life. I've been trying and, to get him on yeah, the podcast just, for quite a while I think now it's really good to open people's eyes message, to the world of conservation um, and biodiversity but just you know the actual him in general of that kind of he's stuff one in, of the in our life most uh, of just sort of like one of my most admired of stewards of the outdoors yeah. and, and i've been uh, just like i've been enjoyed our talk telling today. april for a while before uh, you know what i really liked was his um Josh should be a, a guest on the podcast. The oh my god, he has like, a way of like <laughs> saying these things the, that can the, really Jack resonate with people and get Mongolia. them interested in yeah, doing those like, little oh, things you know, that we talked about earlier. Ever, yeah. what was, what, even I can't if remember all you exactly the way like, that we asked that question, that's but so true. Like, he ended up saying something about like sitting out in the grasslands in wherever and just like you know having a moment to himself and like contemplating life in the universe. And I'm just like, they're just fantastic. 
answers. And like, if I ever had the yeah. those, those yeah. questions, like, like oh, all the stuff, I like stuff, places, those would be my answers. You know, but he's they're so calculated, and it just makes you think, like, yeah, no, I'm gonna think about where I want to go, what I want to do, the fish I want to catch. You know, so don't leave your cartridges in the field. They were absolutely wonderful. Um, Ava, so, do you have anything well, to add? Thank you so about much the, for being uh, the store, on. And, uh, social media, anything panoramic Scott okay. going on? Thanks, man. You know about? I, no problem. You should yes. probably know about. <laughs> I know. Ab- I know about it all. I am privy to all the information. I think, <laughs> um, for sure. So, as of the time of this recording that we're doing, um, we have a sale going on in the store. If you're in there, it should be automatically uh, just adjusted on the prices. It is a 25% off sale for tanks, tees, and hats. So summer sale on tanks, tees, and hats, 25% off, and that's going to be running until mid-August. So please go ahead and pick up some summer gear for yourself before summer is over. Um, And then the only other thing that I have to mention is that uh, throughout the month of August, we're going to be having a fun little kind of community building challenge um, in that month. You're going to have to, there will be information. So watch out for a post um, on our, on the panoramic Instagram and in the stories that will be regarding um, archery reps. So you're going to want to pay attention to that archery reps, shooting reps, something like that. Um, and you're going to, the, the rules will all be there, but essentially you're going to have to tag us and you're going to have to use a specific hashtag and post some pictures. And at the end of it, we'll have a really great prize pack for a winner. So pay attention to Instagram for that. Super easy way to help um, a Instagram page grow and help to build community and build engagement for Um, a business. So that's something free that you can do, but you can also end up with maybe getting a prize. So pay attention to the Instagram page for that. (laughs) Prizes. Prizes I like free stuff. (laughs) And you know, with anything guys, with the uh, website, if something's not quite working or jiving, especially with the shipping, I think there had been an issue here and there. Feel free to reach out to us on the Instagram. You can reach out to us individually, Brennan Willis, uh, April Willis, Sheldon Grant, Tristan, Drellich. I think that's how you say it. And and feel free to to reach out to any of us, even the panoramic uh, Instagram itself. One of us is always monitoring it. We can get you any of the answers you want. You want to talk about some of the gear we got, some of the gear you'd like to see. Let us know. Okay. Well, Brennan, uh, with that, I need to go and do some practicing. As of this recording, Nationals is next weekend and I need to do well. So got to go practice, got to get ready for my girls and uh, I'll talk to you later. That's right. You got any uh, clever little quips? Little lines? One liner getting out of here? Talk talk to you later. Talk to you you later. (laughs) Yep. uh, That'll do.